If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. To come to church without your Bible is like going to the shooting range without your gun. It makes no sense. So uh, make sure you always have your Bible. Even the one on your phone will suffice. Uh, it's better, I think, if you have a, a real one, though. Okay? So we're still uh, we're kind of looking at this uh, question today. Our holy God, who is able to stand? And yet another... Uh, another answer, those who heed the word of God. That <laughs> makes sense, right? So maybe this is the last one for the week. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, just by way of review, where this all started was out of 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, when the ark of God, which had been stolen away from the Philistines, were returned to Israel, uh, and the men of Beth Shemesh uh, looked inside of it. And they died, many of them. And they asked a a very obvious question after such an event of 50,700 of them dying. Who can stand before this holy Lord God? And if you think about that statement, what they're asking is, and, and literally the Hebrew bears out, who can hold one's ground before the holy Lord God? Who can maintain a position before this holy Lord God, who can be steadfast or upright before this holy Lord God. We've lost the fact that God is holy, I think, in many ways in our practical thinking. And when I say we, that is in no such way, I'm not inciting us here at Northridge. I'm saying us as a, perhaps a, a people in a nation and then I would say even, even the us as Christians in the nation, regardless of, of moniker over the door. I think it's easy. And we live in a time and, and we actually have so much blessing that we can easily lose sight, I think, of the holiness of God if we're not careful. Recently, uh, and it's astonishing, uh, the decay of our culture The Respect for Marriage Act that you've probably heard about being uh, engineered by the Senate um, and then, of course, going to be rammed through from what I I call heard of a lame duck session or so. It's not respect for marriage at all, and we won't get into that. But the issue is it's going to penalize, for the first time ever, there is legislation that will penalize penalize the churches in America for not uh, accepting it. And I'm not quite sure how that's going to, I don't know the language about how that's going to work out, but I just know this, that the bill says that anyone and everyone that's married has to be respected. So essentially we're talking about uh, same-sex relationships that they call marriage. Clearly it's not, but we could get into the definitions of that. But but then that, that includes any kind of, quote, marriage, right? Polygamous relationships and marriages are in the back door of this thing. Nonetheless, how that fleshes out to churches, if you as a church do not respect it, whoever the respect police are that go out and make sure you are or aren't, I'm not quite sure, you will lose your tax exemption if you happen to be a church, like in Oklahoma and Texas and and what was called once the Bible Belt, I wouldn't call it that anymore. I would just call it a belt. Okay. Um, you have tax exemption. Now, here in Idaho, it's different from what I understand. And you'd have to ask him how all that works. Because I don't know. So, I'm not quite sure what the leverage would be for states like ours that don't have tax exemption for churches. I don't know if it would be a revocation of the 501c3. But clearly what we have then, though, in this bill is a do this or else for the to the the faith organizations all the faith groups all of the all of it that has in any way form or fashion religious uh, be it Christian or not and you're going to you're going to conform to this or else and so the or else part is going to be where we see the great sifting happen the or else part the holiness of God is related to this because what those different uh, 
faith institutions believe about the holiness of God will determine what they'll do with the or else, right? And how far you're willing to go with the or else. But I think it's poetic in that if, 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 a, if a people group wants to get away from the, uh, the majesty of God, if it wants to re- do away with the input of the influence of Scripture and truth, which is only found in the Holy God, then perhaps God is allowing us to have it our way. So imagine a world where the restraint of God is lifted away. People say, freedom! And I say, you just better be ready to defend yourself. Okay, because the rule of law is only found in an absolute authority. And that absolute authority must emanate from the only one who is authority. And that one who is authority is holy. First and foremost. So true law then will have an element of holiness to it. If it's just. So such as it was with these men of Beth Shemesh. They were hit with this cold reality. We had it our way. We looked into the ark. And it wasn't a good outcome. Death followed. Then the question, what do we do with this God? And I think that's the question where we find ourselves today in our culture. At least those who have enough sense to ask, right? By way of review to the answer, to the question, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? We talked about first that those who stand have to be consecrated. And we talked about how the Levites... Uh, when David went to get the uh, the ark, at first they didn't do a good job of doing that. And, and they finally, when he went back to Levites and said, you guys need to get your act together and do what you were meant to do and consecrate yourselves and go get the ark like you're supposed to. And we talked about what consecration is. And now building on into that, into the New Testament, we, we understand that when we're in Jesus Christ, we've been consecrated to Christ Unto holiness. That means we are supposed to be Christ image bearers. In which case we struggle. Man I do. And I got to tell you. That I am my worst enemy. Me. But I want to be consecrated. And, and, and when you're in Jesus. No matter how rough and tumble you may be. Or how much you stumble. You do have an inner compulsion to want to be. Further consecrated to Jesus. So that. When people meet you, they don't meet you, they meet Jesus in you. That's what we want. Then we talked about those who stand or have a covering. Well, in order to even be consecrated, you have to have a covering of your sin. And that's Christ. You have to have Christ in you. You can't just know about Christ. You just can't be a studier of His person as a historical figure. You, you actually have to know Him relationally. And as you know Him relationally... His blood covers your sin so that when God sees you, to put it in simplistic terms, He sees you through the lens then of that blood that was shed. He doesn't see the the raw view. He sees the the blood that was shed. So you have to have a covering. And then, you know, in practical ways, those who stand before God, they have to tremble at His word. They have to quake. And we'll see just by way of reminder here a little bit more about that. But then lastly today, maybe... (laughs) Uh, those who heed his word. You have to not only tremble before it, you actually have to heed it. That's an old word we don't use much. Isaiah 66, 2. This one, I will look, the Lord says, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And we talked about the Hebrew behind that. Hared means vibrating slightly and irregularly. (laughs) So, do we have a respect and a reverence for the word of God? And if we do then the natural response to it would be to heed it. In which case, if you're anything like me, and, and I know you, you are because we're all people together, Lord, I want to be sanctified. I want to be holy. I want to skip the parts where I fail. <laughs> okay, 
And it bugs me that I fail. Uh, And so in those moments when we fail, you know, there is a, a decision made on our part to not heed the Scripture. And, and that's the rub, isn't it? I mean, that let's, talk, let's just be honest. That's, that's when you're getting down into the reality of the Christian life is I don't like doing the things that I do because the things that I want to do, I don't do. And, the, and then with this exact opposite. And this is that sin nature that's in us. But we have to remember we've been set free and we're not bound to that. And it's by the goodness and grace of God and a proof of your consecration. That it bothers you enough to say, Lord, I may keep stumbling with a loose lip. I may have facial expressions that expose my displeasure to the world. But I'm not happy with it. Please stop it from me. And you take steps to become a student of why you stumble in whatever way. And we all have different things. It's one thing to respect the scripture. It's quite another to heed it. So for today's scripture, let's stand in honor of God and the reading of his word. This is out of 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. And you're gonna, we're going to go through 1 Samuel 15 today. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, Samuel also said to Saul. Now this is in the, in the, in the reign of King Saul. Saul is, is getting, he's falling badly. And Samuel says to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. That was Saul's, that was his injunction. That was what he was supposed to do. That was the clear command of God. Now therefore, as the Lord is speaking through Samuel to Saul, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Let's pray. Father, this is more than we can surmise in, in in a short amount of time. And God, it's one thing to hear, it's another to do. Bring both of those together in a miracle of of blessing and grace to us as fallen creatures. Lord, we stand here, most of us that know you, some of us that don't, asking you to do a great work of restoration, renewal in our life as we seek you in biblical revival and awakening in these dark times. Lord, help us to seize the moment and become more like you and what you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul is, is, is given a, a command to go and attack Amalek and to completely destroy that people. Now, we're not going to get in today about how all that works and how rough that sounds, and we're going to read some pretty rough stuff. But the, the whole focus of this, of this chapter today is to show us That simply heeding the word of God is what God asks us to do. And that's in our everyday life, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. We have to heed the word of God. Trouble comes to us when we willfully choose to not heed the word of God. So, for example, one of my favorite Proverbs, because it's kind of like me. The fool says all that's in his heart. And I find myself many times saying more than I should. As if they actually want to listen. And I feel like I'm that fool. And so when I choose to go ahead and give my opinion. And it doesn't go well for me. Guess what I did? Why is that happening? Because though I remember the parable, the, the, the proverb in my head. I choose to just blast right through it. And do my thing. And thus I get the consequence. Or anything else. Uh, The wrath of uh, man does not produce the righteousness of God. So don't think that you can really straighten out anybody by berating them and yelling at them. And even using 
off-color language because that's not going to do it. And all you've done is destroy your witness. But you chose to do that, and now you bear the consequence. And we all have this in many ways, you know, going to a prayer meeting or, or talking to someone and having a gossip session. Sometimes you call it a prayer session. It's really not. <laughs> okay? Uh, this happens. I mean, there are so many ways that we violate Scripture. And we do so to our own demise. And what, is, what we see here in Saul is that just heeding the Word of God and doing it is what the Lord requires of us. And of course, the warning from Hebrews chapter 2. When we don't heed the things we have heard, what does it say happens? What's the warning? We drift away. Drift away from what? Well, first thing, let me tell you what happens to you. You begin to lose sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit warning you to not do something. Or you're, you're about to do something because he's good about that. He'll keep you out of trouble. Or when you're doing it, you lose the sensitivity that you're even doing it. Or have done it. And that's what you don't want. You do not want to become calloused so that you drift away from that beautiful relationship that preserves your life in this world. Now, it goes much deeper than that, but for the sake of today, that's where we'll keep it. Interesting to note then, what does the word heed mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it means shema. That's how you say it, shema. Uh, and it means to heed. It means to listen, to hear, or pay close attention to. And it usually means to respond in conformity to. So, let's take about that just for a second. To heed the word of God means to pay close attention to it. And it means to conform yourself to it. To grow in godliness then. Think about that command out of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And other virtues. And in your knowledge of God. It's, it's conforming to that particular part. To grow in godliness or to, to, to have godliness is to display the character of God in your life. So that's the scripture. I'm to conform myself to it. What's the admonition? To display Christ-like and godly character in my life. Well, I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> well, what do I do? You repent. You ask God to show you where you're stumbling. Where it's emanating from. You look to the scripture and you continue to grow in your knowledge and love for God in Jesus Christ. And you begin to understand the patterns of your behavior. This is largely uh, about sanctification, honestly. I don't know how you can get around it. By the way, let me say something I've learned recently on that. Um, David Peterson is a theologian that I've recently learned of. Um, he's Anglican, actually, I believe. But he hangs out with all the good guys. and He's really sound, okay? And so uh, he said, perhaps we need to readjust the way we use the word sanctification. Instead of using it as a catch-all word for the growth in Christ in this life, technically speaking, when you're saved, you are sanctified. Or forward slash, you're consecrated in that moment. Okay? You are sanctified and you're consecrated in that moment. You are. So that's definitive. The progressive part, perhaps such language as, rather than saying, growing in sanctification, it's already done, is perhaps words like transformation, conformity, Daily renewal. See the difference? And you're doing that because of the definitiveness of the sanctification. So, heeding the word of God then is a result of the definitive sanctification you have. Now you're, you're conforming to it. And by virtue of it, you're being transformed by it. And you want that. 
and you want that daily renewal that it brings. See? And Saul, well, under the old covenant, in the graces that he had, he had the prophet there telling him what to do. The Lord had come upon him. And you remember when Saul uh, went off and, and went away from Samuel, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then he began to prophesy. And then they said, well, is Saul among the prophets? You know, and, and he got a new heart and all those kind of things. Then that economy, the Holy Spirit did come and go off of Old Testament saints. Many, he came and went. With us, he doesn't do that. So, you can't say, well, Saul stumbled. You have something Saul didn't have. The ever-present, indwelling, abiding relationship of Christ, if you know Christ. So, here's your biggest concern. Not to grieve Him. So that you grow distant in that relationship. So that you get desensitized to His promptings. Shema, then. Here, listen. How many of you heard of, there is, how many of you do around me six? You know there is the Shema in Scripture, right? Yeah, here it is. Deuteronomy chapter six, four through six. This is probably one of the most famous usages of the word Shema. And here it is. Here, which is what Shema means, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There. That's what you're supposed to do. They were supposed to do it then, and we're supposed to do it now. Okay? We're supposed to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. The the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be to make you aware of all those things that don't help in that. Okay? TV shows you shouldn't watch. Political programs probably you shouldn't do. Now, I have a note to say on that real quick. Um... Because it's true in my life. I got nothing to hide. Here I am standing. I might as well be in my underwear. Okay. Just saying. Don't think it any further than that. Okay. Just saying. Curiosity killed the cat, they say. Every day I wake up and I'm curious. What new low has happened overnight? What has blown up today? And I look at that, and I'll read the headlines, and I think, it's innocent enough, and I'm just going to go ahead and confess to you, okay, it's scriptural, that the Spirit's saying you shouldn't look at this stuff, but, you know, maybe if you're waiting somewhere, or you're, you know, whatever, you read something, and you close it and you think, what's wrong with that? Are you some kind of legalist? No, you wait a... I've learned it makes me angry. But not instantly. It kind of goes in there and sets. It sets in the bank of anger until it gets a large enough amount that it wants to go spend itself. And then at the right occasion, after all this is kind of built up, you know, something will happen as innocuous as you could dream. And then you'll just kind of go, and then you think, where did that come from? And then the Lord will say, you were provoked. But why am I mad? Because you're doing this and making yourself angry. And then you remember Brother Jeff two years ago. As he's talking about scripture, about, uh, yeah, Psalm 1. Thanks, brother. And it says, or sets in the seat of scorners. Yes, we don't take take our news cues from the world. So I don't want to parse that out any further. I'm just saying we have to be sensitive to what the Spirit's telling us in our life individually. Now, you may not be like that. You, you may be fine. You may have another thing. But do you know it? 
Are you aware of it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Don't do things that take away any three of those, even as innocent and as inconsequential as it may seem in the moment. That is listening and walking in the Spirit. He says, you shall teach them what? These words and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Do you see everything they're doing here is, is completely built around the Scripture? That's going to require a discipline, isn't it? So there you are. You're back at your coffee pot this, in the morning. You sit down there, you wait for your water to boil or maybe you have a Mr. Coffee or Keurig or whatever and you push play and it happens and then you're there, okay? And you have it. You have a choice to make while you're waiting for whatever to go on. You have your phone in your pocket and we've all developed this demonstrable habit of looking at it first thing, seems like many times when we're bored, we pick it up. Bugs me to no end. And I refuse to buy a new one. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I refuse. So, shall I look at the new and latest low that came over the news and the AP? Or shall I look at my Fighterverse app? Because I have a Fighterverse app. Because I've been taking steps at this. And here I can read today. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's today's fighter verse. In fact, that's the week's fighter verse. My job is to memorize this through the week. So, I have to make a choice. Am I going to focus on this, or what blah, blah, blah said? You see? And that's where their struggle comes. And here's what the scripture says. Here these words. And in all that you do, teach them, not only to yourself, but to your kids. And then he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a font frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. We get the idea that the Shema is all about focusing the nation upon the very words of God, which Jesus said, you shouldn't live by bread alone, but... By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the prayer itself is named after the first word of the passage. Here. Now there's a connection to the word heed. It means here, but the Hebrew word pronunciation sounds like Shema. But it means to obey and to take action, which is what Shema means also. To conform to. So, to hear God is to obey God. And to obey God is to hear God. Maybe that's the problem. We hear too much of them and not enough, enough of Him. Someone says, well, you may not be informed. Well, so far, all by being informed hasn't helped me a bit. Okay? At all. And I figure, and I keep saying this, if it's really bad enough, I'll probably learn of it. Soon, okay? So, to hear and heed the Word of God is your highest priority in the day. Uh, let's see. goes on. In Hebrew, hearing and obeying are essentially one and the same. I mean, to them, they just skip the middle part of gray area, okay? It, to hear is to obey, Moses isn't just telling the people, hey, listen up. He's saying, live these words, embody them, fulfill with all your being and with all that you've got. And of course, all this came from uh, an Israel, uh, a Jewish organization I looked up that loves Jesus. And they were explaining this. Live these words, embody them, fulfill with all your being and with all you've got. James 1.22 is the warning then. Be doers of this word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. We all struggle with this. We all do. 
You know what I think you should never do? At least start here. On the Lord's day. That's today. Don't start this day. With the news. Just don't. Come with a clean bucket. Okay? Just do. Now, 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to have to move some time here, so let's read. 1 Samuel 15. Want to get your Bible there? So Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And now we know exactly what he was talking about. about, And this is the practical example. So in verses 2 and 3, we see God tell Saul exactly what to do. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is what God said to Saul. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And we think, oh my goodness, but just get the injunction. God told him exactly what to do. Pretty simple. It's yucky, but it's pretty simple. Okay, next. Saul disobeys God. Look at verses 4 through 9. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites. Now this is where things get this is where things go bad. Look at that. Saul and the people so verse uh, verse eight. Saul took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. The oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now, is that what God told them to do? It's simply not what God told them to do. Now, by the way, in case you're feeling bad for the Amalekites, just remember, he was the one that attacked the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt on the, in the rear of the column. And it was just picking them off. And we discussed that this was the first time that Israel had went to war, and of course Moses sat down on a stone or whatever, and they had to support his arms because as long as he held the staff over his head, uh, Israel won. And then, of course, if, if he began to slump down, then the Amalekites would come back. And so we talked about how Amalek is a is a Old Testament representation of the flesh. He always wants to pick at you in your weakest areas of your life and take advantage of your weakness. It's what he always does, and he always waits for an opportune moment because he's just like that. So, it's time for the comeuppance. And it always will come, even today. So, Saul disobeys God clearly. The next thing we see, and this is funny, Saul tries to gaslight Samuel. And I hope everyone here is familiar with the term gaslight. We could say deceive. So, In verse 13, well, we'll just start in 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed to set up a monument for himself. So something else we have here. Whenever Whenever the flesh is leading you, it's you that is being promoted. How do you know when you're promoting yourself? Dysfunction begins to surround you. That's how you know. And it can be in a moment by airing an opinion that you knew was out of turn. Or it could be in having an attitude that is finally just ganging up on you with all the people at work wanting to lock you in the bathroom and throw away the key. And never let you out again. Okay? And then celebrate when you're on sick day. You don't want that. Okay? So that's when you know you're promoting yourself. And so he had gone to set up his monument. And then verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. (laughs) So, hey, just a schmoozer. 
I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, when I read that, I thought, are you serious? Are you really trying to convince the prophet of God? But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? What is that? It's just a sound app on my phone. No, it's real. You violated the commandment of the Lord. And Saul is trying to act as though he had done everything right. So really, who is Saul really gaslighting? Himself. That's what sin does too. Whenever someone approaches you about an oversight in your life, maybe in a habit you've developed or whatever that is unbecoming of you as a saint, and then when they tell you the first thing you do is begin to convince them why they're wrong, you ain't trying to convince them. You're trying to convince yourself why you're all right. And you clearly are not all right. And Saul said, in verse 15, they have brought them from the elm. Notice, they brought them. Now, there's something we don't have that we're, we should be. We don't, we're not accustomed to a king. We don't know about that. Now, we have plenty of people who like to think of themselves as kings. But the idea of a monarchy is, absolute monarchy is, you do what the king says, and what happens is exactly what the king was said was supposed to happen. That's what's done. So here Saul is king, and Samuel questions him on the, of the livestock, and, then Sam, and Saul says, they brought them. He passed the buck. Because flesh always wants to pass the buck. Why did you yell at your wife so bad? Well, if you knew all the stuff in the little bottle she kept in the bathroom, it's just more than a man can take. And just adds bad. No. You know, you, you, you decided to do that. Don't pass the buck. And then it says, so... They have brought them, verse 15, they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. They even tried to dress it up with worship. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then 16 is the appropriate response. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. That's what you do when someone's given you a line of excuses. Just hush. Just don't talk. Be quiet, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And then, of course, Saul said, speak on. And Samuel said, verse 17, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Well, Samuel reiterates God's command here in verse 18 to Saul, just by way of reminder. Now, the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19. Verse 19 through 24, Samuel reveals Saul's disdain for God's command because that's what it is, and here's what we read. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? That's really what it is, isn't it? And what would be the word we've just been studying here that would, that would surmise this? Why did you not heed? Is that not the very first thing that God Said to Saul through Samuel, is that not the very first thing? Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Now, here you come back down here to 19. Why did you not obey? Because we know the word Shema means to hear is to obey and to obey is to hear and then conform to that. Right. Saul didn't clearly do that. And he says, why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's still working on it. He's still working on the spin. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, that's what it reminds me of. I just need someone to blame and they're all right there. I mean, what can you do with a mob like that? Well, you are a king. They do what you say. And then he still tries to spin it for worship. The people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best of things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. 
All we wanted to do was just give a gift back to the Lord. While we did what we wanted and stuff. Okay. So what we see here as we read on is Samuel or as as Saul's disdain for the command of God. And so in verse 22, we read, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Again, that goes back to verse one. And then it says here, and to heed than the fat of ram. So what is it that God wants from us? To heed the word of God. It's very simple. That's what we're supposed to do. Not just listen to it and go do our thing. And he says in verse 23, something's kind of scary. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Have you ever thought about the fact that whenever you choose to be rebellious, or I choose to be rebellious, we are dabbling with darkness? There is no gray area in the economy of God and our, and our walk with the Lord. There's just not. There's not different shades of gray. There's black and there's white. And the world hates it. I don't care. But I just know for me, I know what happens when I fudge the rules. I know what happens when I choose to willfully disobey a clear command of Scripture. Especially when the Lord was kind enough to warn me that morning. I can't say anything against Saul really. Because I can be Saul. If you want to know the truth of it. We all can be Saul. And stubbornness. And I've, yeah, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, why do you think stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry? Why do you think that? Because stubbornness is all about me. And what I want and my will and my idea and my opinion and things that I like. And you're just in the way. You ain't changing me. Because it's all about me. That's why I think it says so. And then at the end of it, we have the Lord saying, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Here's the consequence. He also has rejected you from being king. Now, if you read through the rest of the narrative, you'll see that even that did not keep Saul humble. He tore Samuel's robe when Samuel went to leave because he kept saying, if you'll just go back with me to worship, it'll make me look good in front of the men. If you'll just, and he, was so, he just tore his clothes. And then, of course, Samuel says, and the Lord has ripped away the kingdom from you. And then it wasn't long after, you know, as things progressed that uh, Saul died wickedly. He even did a lot of other bad stuff because, <clears throat> remember the witchcraft part? Remember, well, he actually went and, and when Samuel died, he, he found a medium in the land and conjured up Samuel. I mean, he banished them from the land and then he's trying to find one out. We call her the witch of Endor. Do, do you see, whenever you choose, whenever I choose to, to, to disconnect from obedience and shamaing or hearing the word of God and heeding it, What's left for me? There is no gray area. We should plaster it on the wall. There's no gray area. You You can't have one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world and say, I'm fine. You just can't. And Saul had that happen. And then we're back to verse 1. Heed. The voice of the words of the Lord. And we saw what Samuel said. And of course Saul was rejected. Now lastly in closing up here. S. Lewis Johnson. Some of you may know him. Some of you may not. But he said he wrote. Immorality in life proceeds from apostasy and doctrine. Now you think about that really hard. You know. We get those gears turning. Immorality in life proceeds from apostasy in doctrine. If I hold that 
one of the main doctrines that I adhere to is the holiness of God. And yet I choose to disconnect myself from that doctrine in my, in my uh, life's actions. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to become ugly. Okay? I'm going to begin to use language that I shouldn't use. I'm going to begin to associate myself with people I shouldn't associate with. I'm going to begin to reflect the world. Because what did we just say before? You cannot have both. There is no gray area. You're either walking towards Jesus or you're walking away. I promise you that. Immorality in life proceeds from apostasy in doctrine. Why do you think, how is it that the mainline denominations in America that once stood for the great things of God, how do you think they have suddenly created homosexual Bibles and the like? This didn't just happen in a vacuum. Because years ago, they made a choice to apostatize from the core doctrines of Scripture. And this is just the fruit that's coming out over and over and over. Hebrews 2.1. That's why it says this. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we drift away. We have an enemy that is never going to stop trying to get us as Christians to begin to think like he wants us to think. He's going to influence us through music and movies and television commercials. I mean, you've seen those. The children's programs, you guys, come on. Okay? And this is happening. And we see the young generation now. Not only is it a projection, we actually see it fleshed out. And if you're in education, you have your stories. Warren Wiersbe. More spiritual problems are caused by neglect than perhaps by any other failure on our part. And I would say in the Christian life, okay, I would bracket that. We neglect God's word, prayer, worship, and God's people and, and other opportunities for spiritual growth. And as a result, we start to drift. The anchor does not move. We do. You know, the old word for that is backsliddenness. Remember that? He's backslidden. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 is often used for getting people to be in church on Sunday. But if you actually go on and read the rest of the verse, it has some other interesting things. Imagine that. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some is where we usually stop. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching gives rise to these statements. I'm encouraging you and admonishing you with what? The Scripture. You're encouraging and admonishing me with what? The Scripture. That's why we share Scriptures among one another. And why do we do it? Hebrews 10.25 says, because we see the day approaching. What day? The day. The day. That day. The real great reset. Okay? That day is hastening on fast. Like a big old freight train that's loaded with coal, man. And it's coming right at us. And for us, our redemption draws near. So as you see the day approaching, exhort one another. This isn't going to last forever. And there could be a bit of a struggle. Are we heeding the voice of the word of the Lord? Are we, are we manifesting that Christ-likeness in our life that we want people to see? When it comes to suffering, I got this uh, Christian quote of the day. Now, you, we all talk about hypothetically, what are we going to do when we struggle? We, we, we think about these things, right? And we think about the practicals of it. How about this one? Here's a question. Or maybe it's just a statement. This is from Thomas Brooks. This was written in 1608. The humble soul seeks more how to glorify God in afflictions than how to get out of them. That one wrecked me. You probably didn't hear it. Let me read it again. 
The humble soul seeks more how to glorify God in afflictions than how to get out of them. Most of the time, we just want to get out of them. How can I glorify God in this? Now, how do you come up with such an attitude like that? This, you heed the word of God. Lastly, final slide, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking Shema, by taking heed according to your word. And then he says, with my whole heart I have sought you. And I write in my Bible margin, have I? Do I? Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Why? Because there's destruction out there. We just read about Saul. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why we have the daily verse of the day of the week to memorize. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. And as much and as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. And this is the last part. I will not forget your word. So, Shema. Hear, obey, heed. Who's able to stand before this holy Lord God? Those that do that. Why? Because Christ gives them the right. You you remember that part in that verse, right? As many as received him, God gave them the right. He said, you're mine. By my will. For my purpose. Now glorify me, and I'll show you what I can do with a life fully surrendered to me. Heed my word. Chris is going to come and, and lead us in just a little bit of, a, of some music here. What do we do at this portion of the service? Well, you've just heard this huge message about heeding the voice of the word of the Lord. What about your life? The first question that is of, of utmost to me is, since I know that day is approaching, I want to know, do you know Christ? And I would admonish you to not leave here until you cry out to God to save you from your sin. To give you that, that covering and to sanctify your life to Him. Be done with you. Know Christ. And then, Christian, we are, in, we are setting up for a really good time <laughs> to be different. We have to strengthen ourselves by heeding the word of God that we have. So whatever God is leading you to do today, the altar is open as Chris plays. Just spend a few moments asking God to apply this to your heart.